Well, welcome everybody to Downtown Harbor Church. If it is your first time here, my name is John. I'm the lead pastor. Appreciate you coming on out, particularly to our 9 a.m. service. Today, we are wrapping up this six-week series, this fall series that we've been in, that we've been calling Follow Me. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we've been talking about this idea that Jesus really was a master evangelist. He had this unique ability to kind of get out there in the world and just engage with anyone and everyone. When you read the Gospels, you really see that people who were nothing like Jesus at all liked him. They, they wanted to be with him. They wanted to be in his presence. They wanted to be in his company. And they wanted to hear what he had to say. And so our goal for this series really is to figure out his secret sauce. How did he, how did he manage this? How did he do what he did? We want to learn how exactly he engaged with people. And then we want to follow his lead as we go out into the world to do the same, to speak with others about Jesus and about our faith. So last week, if you're with us, we examined really Jesus' most uh, famous parable ever, the prodigal son. And if you weren't here, you should go back and give it a listen. It's just a great, great story. But for all of its amazing lessons that are found in this parable, I would argue that Jesus' main purpose for telling that story really was to deconstruct and reconstruct our understanding of God. Because how we view God really does matter. When we have misconceptions about God, when there are distortions that exist, that really does impact how we relate to our Heavenly Father. And there are myriad uh, misconceptions that are out there. I mean, some of the you know, most you know, like basic ones are, we look at him as being angry, we look at him as being critical or judgmental or vengeful, or the opposite end of the spectrum, we kind of view God as someone who exists merely to give us what we deserve. So Jesus, last week, told a story that lets us know that God is like that good father. That God is someone who runs to us, who throws his arm around us, who welcomes us home, who forgives us, and who celebrates us. So last week, we saw Jesus deconstruct and then reconstruct our understanding of God. Today, what we're going to see is Jesus deconstruct and reconstruct our understanding of salvation. We're going to see Jesus unwind, if you will, one particular man's preconceived notion about what salvation looks like. And this, honestly, is a very important conversation for us all to hear. Because when you go out into the world and you start speaking to other people about Jesus, or just kind of getting into spiritual conversation, what you're going to find is that rarely are people just kind of blank slates spiritually, where they just know, know nothing and you get to pour into them. No. By and large, most people do have some kind of preconceived notion about what they think salvation's going to look like with, you know, between them and God or whatever that looks like at the end of their lives. Now, our responsibility as Christians, if you're a Christian in this room, is A, to make sure they have a proper understanding of God, that was last week, and B, to make sure they have a proper understanding of salvation. That is the conversation we're going to look at today. So let's jump into our final story as we wrap up this series. We're going to be in John chapter 3. We're just going to start in verse 1. John lets us know, he says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Let's pause. So we meet our main character for the day, this guy named Nicodemus. And John tells us a couple of facts about Nicodemus. And I just want to flesh out that bio because I think it's important for us to know in terms of understanding this story in its fullest context. First thing we learn is that he is a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees have popped up almost every single week 
in this series. And as Christians who really kind of just focus on the New Testament, we sort of just view Pharisees as the bad guys. And in reality, they weren't all bad guys. So who were the Pharisees? Well, Pharisees, it was a uh, sect of Judaism, okay? It was a branch of Judaism. So there were the Pharisees, there were the Sadducees, and there were the Essenes. Like in Christianity, you have Catholics and Protestants, and then kind of denominations over here. They had, they had Pharisees, Sadducees, and the Essenes. Now, Pharisees loved the law of Moses. Okay, that was like their thing. They worked tirelessly to obey and apply the law of Moses to their everyday lives. They also knew scripture, backwards and forwards. They knew that law, backwards and forwards. No one, okay, no one rivaled the Pharisees when it came to being religious. Nobody could, okay, because they were the most religious Jews out there. So Nicodemus was a Pharisee. We also learned that he was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Elsewhere in scripture, this is called the Sanhedrin. Best way to understand what the Jewish ruling council is, is to see them as Israel's parliament, Congress, and Supreme Court all kind of wrapped into one. So not only was Nicodemus a devoutly religious man, but he was also a, uh, a leader of religious men. Lastly, and we're going to learn this fact about him later in the story from Jesus, but I want to tell you now because it's important, Jesus is going to call him the teacher of Israel. Now, historically, we've learned that this was not an official religious position, nor was it an official political position. So what Jesus is expressing here is the general opinion of the public. Nicodemus was regarded by most to be the preeminent voice of religious teaching in Israel. So we're dealing with a big shot today. Okay? This is kind of like the final boss, if you will, of the Pharisees. This is a, this is a big-time guy that we're meeting. Story continues. John lets us know that he came to Jesus at night. That's a little unusual of a detail. That's, that's, and a lot of people make a lot of it, but it's here and it's here for a reason. Now, in all the other encounters that we've seen between Jesus and the Pharisees, the Pharisees have always gone to Jesus in broad daylight and in public because they always made it, wanted to make a spectacle of what they were kind of doing here, but, but, but not here. Here, Nicodemus is alone, and he comes at night, and we don't know why. Scripture does not tell us, but we can speculate. And my guess, don't hold me to this, my guess is that he is here to investigate Jesus without the council or without the other Pharisees knowing about it. Okay, this is kind of what I'll call a secret mission. Now watch what he says to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, term of respect, we know. Now that's interesting. Who is the we? We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. This is so important. Because this is where some of you are right now. This is honestly where the majority of Americans are right now. Nicodemus is saying, Jesus, listen, I've heard your stories. I've, I've heard some of your teaching. I, I've, I've spoken to some folks who knew you, I've seen what you're about, and I have come to the conclusion that you are a teacher sent from God. Isn't that what most people would say? When you kind of go out there in the general public, you go, who is Jesus? And they would go, well, uh, he was a great teacher. You know, he was, a, he, was a, he was a great leader, an innovative leader, maybe even a prophet. Now, Nicodemus never says Jesus was the Messiah. 
He definitely does not say that Jesus is divine or God or the Son of God. He's just the teacher sent from God. Then Jesus says something clear out of the blue. He replies to him, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. That'll stop you in your tracks. Nicodemus hasn't asked anything about that. He hasn't asked anything for that matter. Yet Jesus sees to his heart, and he's like, look, listen, whatever you came here for tonight doesn't matter. This is a more pressing issue. See, Nicodemus and the other Jews, they believed that to be born Jewish was a guaranteed ticket into heaven. That to be born a Jew really was to be born into the kingdom of God. But now he's got Jesus over here who is Jewish saying, hey, just so you know, your natural birth as a Jew is not going to save you. Your first birth as a Jew, which is good, okay, it's just not good enough. And it's not going to get you into heaven. You have to be born again. Nicodemus hears this and he goes, what, what do you mean? exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again, right? Gross. So the, thanks for putting that image in our head. This is an interesting response. Like a lot of people will read this and they'll go, well, he didn't, he didn't understand what Jesus was saying, obviously, based on this response. I don't know if I buy that. Nicodemus is a brilliant theologian, folks. A masterful political tactician. I think he knows I think he knows exactly what Jesus is, is driving at here, but he doesn't want to acknowledge that truth. He doesn't want to engage with that particular truth. And so he chooses to take Jesus' statement of rebirth literally. Why? So he can just brush it off. He's being ridiculous. Absurd. Oh, Jesus, come on. You can't be, you can't be born again. Stop it, please. Jesus doesn't relent. He goes on. He goes, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom. Before it was no one can see, now he's up in it. Nobody can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Now, that's a little cryptic for us, if we're being honest, but what Jesus is doing here is he's kind of pulling in some Old Testament language to restate his case for being born again. Then he kind of steps forward, and I picture him putting his finger into Nicodemus's chest. And he goes, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. In other words, Nicodemus, you're a religious leader, right? Yeah. You know the Old Testament, don't you? Yeah. You know the law, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you, of all people, should know that physical birth doesn't get you into heaven. Something else has to happen. That's offensive to Nicodemus. Not that Jesus offended him by saying this, but what he's saying is offensive because Nicodemus took a lot of pride in the fact that he was a pure-blooded Jew. Nicodemus relied on the fact that he was a pure-blooded Jew in order to make him right with God. And now Jesus here has just blown up Nicodemus' entire system of salvation. Now he could have said, Jesus, you're nuts. You know, they told me you were nuts. I didn't believe him. I wanted to come see for myself. You're nuts. I'm out of here. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he does something I'm hoping some of you will do. He pauses. He stops. And he realizes that maybe, maybe, just maybe, there's something I don't know. And he asks, how can this be? 
Jesus, I'm not running away. I'm not arguing. I'm just telling you, Jesus, when, when I take this phrase born again, was that okay? When I take this phrase born again, and I try to make that work with, with what I've always been taught, what I have been teaching, I've got to be honest with you, it doesn't square up. How can this be? Let me tell you what else Nicodemus believed, because you might also believe what Nicodemus believed. Nicodemus believed in what I'm going to call a spiritual scale, all right? And in this life, we all do bad things, right? Okay, right? Some of us do big bad things. Some of us do medium bad things. Some of us just do tiny little bad things that God doesn't really care about at all, right? But we're not bad people, are we? No, we're good people. And so over the course of our life, we do some really good things, which really then balance out all the bad stuff we've done. And as long as we do more good than bad, when we die and God looks at our scale, he's going to go, all right, looks pretty good. Come on in. This is essentially what Nicodemus thought. That there's a good God and a good heaven and good people go there. And if you're born Jewish, well, that's just icing on the cake. But what Jesus was saying to him in this moment was entirely different. I mean, he wasn't talking about being good enough to get into heaven. He wasn't talking about being related to the right person, which will get you into the heaven. Jesus is saying, Nicodemus, you will never see or enter the kingdom of heaven until you're born again. Until you receive brand new life from above. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. Jesus answered, said to him, you are the teacher of Israel. There it is. You are the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? He finds it ironic that this man is considered to be the nation's best teacher, and yet somehow has missed this. So Jesus decides to take a different approach, a different conversation, a different angle to help Nicodemus understand what he's trying to tell him here. And so he uses language that Nicodemus would understand. He goes back to the Old Testament. He says, Nicodemus, okay, try this. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, Nicodemus goes, oh, okay. This story, I know. And what they're referring to here is after the Israelites were released from Egypt and they were wandering the desert, the Jewish folks began to complain about the food that God was sending. That's a problem. So what does God do? God sends poisonous snakes into the camp, Snakes start to bite the Jews. They begin to get sick and they die. Well, this has caused them to realize that they have actually sinned against God. They pray for forgiveness. And because God is faithful to forgive, he goes to Moses and he says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. Listen to me carefully. Make a replica snake, nail it to a pole, and raise it up. And anyone who looks at that snake nailed to a pole will be saved from death. So Jesus says, Nicodemus, let me make this really just super clear for you. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man, that's what Jesus called himself, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Nicodemus, I've been sent into this world to let people know that salvation has nothing to do with being good. Salvation has nothing to do with doing good works, or being related to the right people, I, Nicodemus, have brought a brand new way. You get into heaven 
by placing your faith in me, the Son of Man, the Son of God. And that's where the story ends, right there. Nicodemus fades into the background of history, pondering the question, how can this be? Jesus leaves him that night. How How does this work out? Jesus, I can't blend what you're saying with what I've been taught or what I've been teaching. This is a This is a completely different system of salvation. So I got to make a decision. I can either retreat, go back to what I've always known and what I've always taught, or I can stand here and let this wash over me and embrace a brand new truth. John, who is the author of this gospel, kind of steps in. And it's almost like he wants to make sure that we didn't miss what Jesus just told Nicodemus, and he restates it, and he writes what will then become the most famous line ever written in Scripture. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. John's like, look, listen, people, you do not enter the kingdom of heaven because of all the good things that you do. People enter heaven because of what one man did on that cross. Three years later, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, arrested by the Romans. He's given a mock trial, if you will, before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council that Nicodemus was a part of. And then he was crucified. As he predicted that night with Nicodemus, the Son of Man was finally lifted up onto that cross. Now, Scripture says that one of Jesus' followers, a man named Joseph of Arimathea, goes to Pilate. Pilate was the, sort of the Roman authority there. Asked Pilate, hey, can I take Jesus' body down from the cross? Pilate says, yeah, go ahead. But he couldn't do it alone. He brought a helper. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. The preeminent teacher of Israel recognized that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. The man who went to Jesus under the cover of darkness is now the man who laid our Lord in his grave. What an absolutely incredible story of redemption. So, what do we do with it? How do do we follow Jesus' lead? This is the question we've been asking all series long. What can we learn from this particular interaction to help us engage with other people? So today, like I said up top, what we're witnessing is Jesus deconstructing and then reconstructing one man's view of salvation, to unwind his previously conceived notions of what salvation looked like and how he shows him the truth. And when doing so, Jesus gives us a couple of tools for our tool belt that I think are very useful. Now, the first issue that Jesus sort of deconstructs really was specific to Nicodemus, okay, and and the Jewish community. However, I believe it has implications for Christians as well. It's this idea of salvation by association. I'm not going to get into it fully because we've talked about it a bunch today, but to distill it down to its most basic parts, Nicodemus was essentially relying on the faith of Father Abraham, where, where the Jewish faith began, the patriarch of Judaism. Scripture tells us, the New Testament tells us, that Abraham was saved by faith. Well, the Jews, they assumed that since they were related to Father Abraham, that makes them good with God. However, Jesus and all the other New Testament authors consistently point out, no, 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 no. That's not the case. 
being related to the right people doesn't make you good with God. Now, one of the things that I see very frequently in life is that people will, and I'm going to use the word assume, okay? People will assume that they are Christians because, you know, mom and dad were Christians. They may never go to church. Maybe they go once or twice a year, okay? They don't really pray. Uh, They don't read the Bible, ever have. But if somebody asks, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, yeah. You know, grew up Catholic, grew up Baptist. Uh, My parents were big into the church. Not not me so much. But yeah, 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 I'm a Christian. If that's you, I'm just saying, if that's you, chances are you are relying on your parents' faith to make you right with God. And Jesus would say, look, I love you. I love you. Don't work that way. Being related to the right people doesn't make you right with me. You or the person you might be speaking with, just like Nicodemus, needs to be born again. Your first birth to Christian parents or to Jewish parents, that's great. Not good enough. You got to be born again. You have to make it personal. You, and I don't know who, maybe you're in the audience today, I don't know your faith story, but you have to make a decision on your own for yourself to follow after Jesus, to call him your Lord and Savior. And that, and that alone will make you good with God. The next big truth that we got to help folks understand is that respect for Jesus is just not enough. Most people, regardless of their religion, have respect for Jesus. They might not respect Christians, okay? But they have respect for Jesus. Muslims honor Jesus as being one of the greatest prophets ever sent from God. Millions, as we talked about, view him as being a tremendous teacher, a great leader, a champion for the marginalized. But none of that is good enough. Scripture is crystal clear. We must acknowledge Jesus as Lord. He is not just some teacher sent from God, as Nicodemus first thought. He is God in the flesh who came to this world specifically to die for you. We must acknowledge that he is the only way to heaven. I understand. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I understand that might not be something that you feel comfortable with or even want to kind of even articulate that publicly because it just sounds so scary or exclusive or closed-minded or bigoted. But I and we didn't make this up. Jesus himself said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one, no one can go to the Father except by me. If there was any other way to get to the Father, any other way for people to be made right with God outside of Jesus Christ, then his death on that cross was the cruelest trick that God ever played. There is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? But your first time here at DHC, every week, we put this word on the screen. Because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do with what you've heard. So that fateful night, some 2,000 years ago, Jesus left Nicodemus pondering a question that 
all of us need to be able to answer definitively and without hesitation. The question is, are you and God good? My old boss, former pastor, used to ask at pretty much the end of every service. He would go, let me ask you a question. If you were to die tonight, hypothetical, if you were to die tonight, would you know for certain that you were going to heaven? I mean, if you were to die tonight, would you know for sure that you and God are good? Some people don't have an answer for that question. And I've met many people who love Jesus. I've met many people who are, who are professed Christians who don't know the answer to that question. And they'll say things like, well, I hope, I hope so. I, I think so. I, I think so. Listen, Scripture says you can know so. Let me show you. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Hard stop. Do you believe that Jesus is Lord? Not just a teacher, not just a good man. Do you believe that he's Lord? Do you believe that he died on that cross and came back to life on Easter? If you answered yes to those two questions, then according to the Holy Scriptures, you are saved. You, whether you realize it or not, have been born again. You and God are good. Now, for those of you in this room who did not answer yes to those questions, maybe today left you with the same question that Nicodemus had. How can this be? Like, you thought you had God all figured out. Maybe you thought in your mind, you know, it's all about being a good person. I do enough good things. God kind of looks at me and goes, okay, you're in. I'm not a bad person. I'm a nice person. I help people. I do good things. Okay. But now Jesus has shown you a, a, a completely different system a brand new truth, and you got to wrestle with it. That's my challenge to you. Wrestle with the claims of Jesus. Don't run away from them. Don't retreat back to what you already knew. Do what Nicodemus did. Stand there. Let it just wash over you and make a decision for yourself. Get a Bible. I can give you one if you don't have one. Get one. Go to BibleGateway.com. Read the Gospels for yourself. See for yourself what Jesus says, and I believe I believe with all my heart that the truth will set you free. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you, Lord, that you orchestrated that defining moment in Nicodemus' life. That you peeked into his heart, Lord, and you put a spotlight on the misconceptions and the distortions that he had when it comes to salvation and what it looks like to have a relationship with you. God, I pray that today every single person in this room would know that you came into this world to die for their sins. That is because of your son and what he did and not anything that we could do that we would be made right with you. That if we put our faith in your son, the son of man who is lifted up for our sins that we would be made right and that we would know for certain, for good and forever that you and we are good. We ask all of this in Jesus' name.
Amen.